Section number two of A Book of Fairy Tale Bears. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy McCracken. A Book of Fairy Tale Bears by Clifton Johnson. The Bear and the Scrattle. One Christmas day, when the King of Norway was feasting in the great hall of his palace, he proposed that a present should be sent to the King of Denmark as a pledge of his good will. But what shall it be? he asked. Then spoke Anders, the king's chief huntsman. Your Majesty, he said, let the present be one of our handsome white bears, that the King of Denmark and his people may see the sort of creatures with which we play. Are you sure that a bear can be sent on so long a journey? asked the king. And is there any certainty that he would behave himself after he reached the Danish court? Yes, Anders responded. "'for I have a fellow as white as snow that I caught when he was a cub, "'and he will follow me wherever I go, "'play with my children, stand on his hind legs, "'and conduct himself as properly as any gentleman. "'I will take him to Denmark myself if you choose.' "'The king was much pleased, "'and he ordered Anders to set off with his snow-white bear "'as promptly as possible. "'So early the next morning Anders roused Bruin, "'put the king's collar round his neck, and away they went over rocks and mountains and across valleys and plains, the nearest road to the court of the King of Denmark. It was bright weather, the sun shone, and the birds sang, and they traveled merrily on day after day till they had almost reached their journey's end. Then they came to a gloomy forest through which they tramped all one afternoon. Toward evening the wind began to whistle through the trees, and the clouds gathered and threatened a stormy night. The road, too, was very rough, and both Bruin and his master were exceedingly weary. What made matters worse was the fact that they had found no wayside inn that day, and as they had not been able to buy food, they had eaten nearly all the scanty supply they carried with them. A pretty affair this, Anders said. Here I am in this lonely forest with an empty stomach, a bear for my companion, and the prospect of a wet bed. The wind increased in volume, the clouds grew darker, and Bruin shook his ears uneasily. Anders was at his wit's end when a woodman came whistling out of the forest, walking beside his horse, which dragged a load of faggots. The traveler stopped him and asked for a night's lodging for himself and his bear. Yet, though the woodman seemed hardy and good-natured enough, and was quite ready to provide shelter for the huntsman, he never had seen such a creature as the bear before in his life, and would have nothing to do with him on any terms. Anders begged hard for his friend and told how he was bringing him as a present to the King of Denmark, and how the bear was the most good-natured, best-behaved animal in the world. The woodman, however, was not to be moved. He was sure that his wife would not like such a guest, and who could say what the bear might take into his head to do? Moreover, their dog and their cat, their ducks and their geese, would all run away for fright, whether the bear was disposed to be friendly with them or not. No, he said in conclusion, if you and old Shaggyback cannot part, you must spend the night in the forest, though you will have a sad time of it, no doubt. Then he cracked his whip, clucked to his horse, and set off once more on his way homeward. The huntsman grumbled and Bruin grunted as they resumed their plodding along the rough road. But the woodman had not gone far when he stopped his horse and again addressed Anders. I think I can tell you a better plan than sleeping under a tree, he said. I know where you can find shelter, if you will run the risk of getting into trouble with a mischievous scrattle, who has taken up his abode in what used to be my house down the hill yonder. I lived in it until last winter, and everything had been going smoothly with us for a long time, but one unlucky night, when the storm blew as it seems likely to do tonight, 
that spiteful imp took it into his head to visit us. The house has ever since been in an uproar from midnight till the cock crows in the morning. Clattering footsteps run up and down the stairs, and there are many other strange disturbing noises. What the scrattle is like, no one knows. We have never seen him, nor have we seen anything belonging to him, except a queer little high-heeled shoe that he left one night in the pantry. But though we have not seen him, we know he has a hand as heavy as lead, for when he chooses to thump anybody, down goes that person as if the blacksmith's hammer had hit him. There was no end to the goblin's monkey tricks. If the linen was hung out to dry, he cut the line. If he wanted a cup of ale, he left the tap running. If the fowls were shut up, he let them loose. He would drive the pig into the garden, ride on the cows, turn the horses into the hay yard, and several times he nearly burned the house down by leaving a lighted candle among the faggots. He is astonishingly active and nimble. Sometimes, when he is once in motion, nothing stands still around him. Dishes and plates, pots and pans dance about, making a dreadful sort of music, and breaking each other to pieces. The chairs and tables, too, act as if they were alive and were dancing a hornpipe or playing some wild game together. Nor is it any of use putting things in order, for the imp would quickly turn everything upside down again. My wife and I bore such a lodger as long as we could, but at length we were fairly beaten, and as he seemed determined to stay permanently in the house, we thought it best to give him full possession. The little rascal knew what we were about when we were preparing to move, and seemed to be in a hurry to get rid of us. So he helped us off, for on the morning we were to start, when we got up intending to load the wagon, there it was before the door with the goods on it. As we drove away, we heard a loud laugh, and a sharp little voice cried out a window, "'Good-bye, neighbors!' Well, he has the old house to himself now, and can play his pranks as he pleases. We have built a snug cottage for ourselves on the other side of the hill. It is smaller and less comfortable than the old house, but we shall not go back while the scrattle is there. However, if you and your companion choose to run the hazard, you are quite welcome to the shelter, and it may be the imp is not at home tonight. "'We will try our luck,' Anders said for anything is better than sleeping out of doors such a night as this. We may have to fight for our lodging, but never mind. Bruin will take a hand in any quarrel that arises, and the goblin will perhaps get rougher treatment from him than your house-dog could give. My comrade will at any rate let the scrattle know what a bear's hug is. Then the woodman gave Anders a faggot with which to make a fire, and wished him a good night. The travelers soon found their way to the deserted house, and went into the kitchen and started a fire. Lack a day, Anders said. I forgot one thing. I ought to have asked that good man for some supper. All I have left is a little dry bread. But I am glad we shall not be obliged to sleep in the woods. We will eat what food we have, keep ourselves warm, and get to bed as soon as we can. So, after eating their crusts and drinking some water from the well in the yard, the huntsman wrapped himself in his cloak and lay down at the back of the kitchen. Bruin curled up in the corner of the wide fireplace, and both he and his master were soon sound asleep. Midnight came. The fire was out and everything was quiet in the house, but outside a storm was raging. Presently in popped an ugly little scrattle, not much more than two feet high with a humped back, a face like a dried pippin, and a nose like a ripe mulberry. He wore high-heeled shoes and a pointed cap. On his shoulder he carried a nice fat kid, skinned and ready for roasting. A rough night, this, the goblin grumbled. But thanks to that booby woodman, I have a house to myself, and now I'll prepare a hot supper and have a glass of good ale. He at once got busy, and soon the fire blazed up and the kid was put on a spit, and the roasting began. When the meat was sufficiently roasted, the scrattle transferred it to a covered dish, which he set in the nook of the fireplace to keep warm till he had the table ready. 
Next he rolled a keg of ale from the closet, drank a glass, and then, in the joy of his heart, rubbed his hands, tossed up his red cap, and danced and sang before the hearth. Meanwhile the huntsman had waked up, and was lying very quiet, looking on from the back of the room. Sometimes he quaked with fear, and sometimes he licked his lips at the thought of the savory supper the scrattle had prepared, and was half-minded to fight for its possession. Suddenly the scrattle observed Bruin lying fast asleep, rolled up like a ball in the chimney corner. He at once went closer and looked at the bear very sharply, doubtful what he really was. "'One of the family, I suppose,' the scrattle said to himself." Just then Bruin gave his ears a shake, and showed a little of his snout. Oho! the imp exclaimed. I see what it is. It's a mouse. But what a large one! Where could he have come from? Shall I let him alone, or drive him out? Perhaps he may do me some mischief, but I am not afraid of rats and mice. I have driven away every other living thing out of the house, and this brute shall follow them without any more delay. So here goes. The elf took up the spit he had used in roasting the kid, and brought it down with a rousing thump on the bear's head. Bruin raised himself slowly up, snorted, and shook himself. Then he walked across the room and back, and grinned at his enemy. The scrattle, somewhat alarmed, retreated a few paces, and stood with a spit in his hand preparing for a rough attack. It soon came. The bear reared up, walked leisurely forward, and caught hold of the spit with one of his paws. He jerked it from the goblin's hand, and sent it spinning to the other end of the kitchen. A fierce battle ensued. This way and that flew tables and chairs and pots and pans. The elf was one moment on the bear's back, pulling his ears and pummeling his body with fists and heels, and a moment later the bear had thrown the scrattle up in the air, and when he came down treated him with a hug that made the little imp squall. Then the scrattle would jump up on one of the beams out of Bruin's reach, and soon, watching his chance, would leap down astride of the bear's neck. Meantime, Anders had become sadly frightened. Presently he observed that the oven door was open, and he crept in for shelter from the fray and lay there anxious and trembling. The struggle went on for a long time, and it was not at all clear who would be the winner. The whole house rang with the noise of the biting, scratching, snarling, screeching, growling, and pounding. At last, however, the elf seemed to be growing weaker. The rivals had paused for a moment to get breath, and the bear was about to attack again when the scrattle dashed his red cap right in the bear's eyes, and while Bruin was half-blinded and smarting with the blow, the imp darted to the door and was gone from sight into the night, though the wind blew in a gusty gale, and the rain was falling in torrents. "'Well done! Bravo, Bruin!' the huntsman cried as he crawled out of the oven and ran and bolted the door. "'You have combed that fellow's locks finely, though you yourself are also rather the worse for the battle. But come, let us make the best of the good cheer our friend has left us.' Accordingly, they set the overturned table on its legs, put the room somewhat to rights, brought the roasted kid from the nook of the fireplace where it had escaped harm, and enjoyed a hearty feast. When they finished, the huntsman jovially wished the scrattle a good night and pleasant dreams, and lay down and slept till sunrise. Bruin slept also, as well as his aching bones would let him. In the morning, the huntsman made ready to continue on his journey. Scarcely had he set foot on the highway when he met the woodman, who eagerly inquired how he had passed the night. Anders described the elf, and told how the bear had vanquished him, I fancy, Anders said in conclusion, that you are now well rid of the gentleman. He is not likely to come where he thinks he runs the risk of getting any more of Bruin's hugs. If we have driven away the scrattle, you are amply rewarded for your entertainment of us, which, to tell the truth, was none of the best. For if your ugly little tenant had not brought his supper with him, we should have empty stomachs this morning. So saying, the huntsman and Bruin, his fellow traveller, journeyed on. 
Let us hope they reached the king of Denmark safely, but as to their further adventures I know nothing. The woodman, in the days that followed, kept sharp watch of his old house to determine whether the scrattle would return, or whether the bear had thoroughly frightened him out of his former haunt. Three nights passed, and the house showed no signs of the scrattle's having revisited it, and the woodman began to think of moving back. On the fourth day, while at work in the forest, a chilly scud of sleet and rain drove him to the shelter of a tree. As he stood there leaning against the tree trunk, he heard a little cracked voice singing, or rather croaking, for the singer's tones and the words of the song were equally mournful. The woodman crept quietly along in the direction whence the sound came, and presently peeped over some bushes and saw, seated on a mossy tussock, the very same little man whom the huntsman had described to him. The goblin had no hat or cap on his head, his face was woebegone, and his legs were scratched as if he had been crawling through a bramble thicket. He was evidently sadly in the dumps at the loss of the good cheer and shelter of the woodman's cottage. "'Sing us another verse,' the woodman said when the song came to an end. Instantly the little imp jumped up, stamped his feet with rage, and was out of sight in the twinkling of an eye. The woodman finished his work and was going home in the evening, trudging along by his horse's side, when he saw the little goblin standing on a high bank beside the road, looking as grim and sulky as before. "'Hark ye, bumpkin!' the scrattle cried. "'Is your great cat alive and at home still?' "'My cat?' the woodman said wonderingly. "'Yes, your great cat!' the little imp shouted wrathfully. Then it occurred to the woodman that the scrattle was referring to the bear. "'Oh, to be sure, my cat!' the woodman said. "'Certainly, she is alive and well, and could be happy to see you whenever you will do us the favor to call. As you seem to be so fond of my great cat, you may like to know that she had five kittens last night.' Five kittens,' the elf muttered. "'Yes,' the woodman said. Five of the most beautiful kits you ever saw.' and so like the old cat. It would do your heart good to see the whole family. They have such soft, gentle paws, such delicate whiskers, and such pretty little mouths. Do look in tonight, about twelve o'clock, the time you know that you used to come to see us. I can assure you that the old cat will be glad to show you her kittens. I come, not I indeed, the scrattle shrieked. What do I want with the little wretches? Did not I see the mother once? Keep your kittens to yourself. I must be off." This is no place for me. Five kittens. So there are six of the vicious brutes now. Good-bye to you. You've seen me for the last time, so bad luck to your ugly cats and beggarly house. And bad luck to you, Mr. Crookback, the woodman cried. Keep clear of my cat, and let us hear no more of your pranks, and be hanged to you. Now that he knew his troublesome guest had gone for good, the woodman moved back into the snug old house with his wife and children, his dog and his white cat with her five kittens. There they lived happily, for the scrattle never came to see them any more. End of section number two. Recording by Amy McCracken.